want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. We just asked God to speak, and He's going to do that now as we read His Word. Isaiah chapter 66, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, which is our sermon text for today. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my, for my name's sake, have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord, rendering recompense to his enemies. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we learned that it was God's eternal plan for the church of Jesus Christ to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And it's really remarkable that believing Jew and believing Gentile from all nations across this globe can be united as one person in the person of Jesus Christ. The the, the war in Ukraine, the violence on our streets, the murder of unborn babies, the political vitriol between parties, racial and social divide, and, and many more, all, all reveal how breathtakingly beautiful unity in the person of Jesus Christ really is. Only Jesus can bring true peace between warring enemies. Those, those who are born again and live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ have begun to experience this peace today. But as God's redeemed people, we also know because God has promised that there is a day coming when He will make the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell with God forever. And 
on that new heavens and that new earth, we will be completely full of happiness. There, there will be no sorrow. We, we will be full of life. Death will be no more. There, there, we will be full of blessing. There, no more devastating consequences of sin. And we'll be full of peace, all people. We'll be at peace with God and with one another. We, we will be made completely whole again. That, that will be an age like none other. And that promise will become reality for God's people when Jesus Christ comes again. Now, if you're like me, we, we long for that day to come. But as we wait for that day to come, we are also told in places like 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That last phrase, appearance of godliness but denying its power, reveals that Many people will be, quote-unquote, spiritual or religious, but in a way that is not authentic or genuine. There, there will be people who will go through the motions of worship, but it will not be pleasing to God. Now, when we say that, that, that should really alarm us. That, that should lead us to ask, what then does genuine worship really look like? What does real worship include? And that is what we want to talk about today. Worship matters. The church of Jesus Christ is a worshiping community. Uh, God speaks to us through the Word, the living Word and the written Word. And our response is worship. We listen, we believe, we obey, we follow, we love, we worship. And we do this together as a body of believers whom the Lord has called out of the world into union with Jesus Christ and into communion with one another. But when we speak of worship, it's, it's not just what we do on Sunday, it's how we live 24-7. But make no mistake about it, what we do on Sunday prepares us for how we live 24-7. So don't miss the significance of an individual who worships, and don't take for granted the weightiness of a church that worships. You, you should not be attracted to a church that has lots of activities, lots of programs, but poor worship. Jesus taught us in John 4 that our Father is seeking people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. So when we worship in spirit, we worship with our whole being, where, wherever two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. And when, 
and when his revealed truth governs how we worship and live. So worship matters. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 through 6, teaches us four things about worship that you will do well to remember today. And the first thing that we must remember is this. Remember who you worship. The the grandest building does not enhance the worship of the Creator of all things. Verse 1 again begins by saying, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand is made. So, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So when, when the Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, he is revealing his magnitude and his greatness. He is, he is far greater than we can begin to comprehend. It's safe to say that the God of your minds is far too small. His greatness is inexhaustible. And and so the notion that man could ever build a house that would enhance worship of him is really kind of ridiculous. After all, he is the one who created all things. He spoke the universe into existence. And so it would be silly to think that the worship of our Creator would be improved by even the most spectacular building that a man could build. It, it's not that the work that we do in doesn't matter to God because it does. The point is that nothing we do can manipulate God to make Him be what we want Him to be. He is the Creator. We are the creature. And yet, the Lord instructed Israel to build a temple because it was his desire to dwell with his people. God cannot be reduced to or defined by a mere building built by man. And King Solomon understood that. When he prayed to dedicate the temple he had built, he said this to God, the heavens cannot contain you, much less the temple which I have built for you, 1 Kings 8. 12 and following. The God who created all things is transcendent. That is, he is infinitely greater than that which is created, let alone a building that man could build. That is, yet, and yet God, even though that is true, God dwelled with Israel by filling the temple with his Shekinah glory. God came down to visit man. God stooped down to reveal himself to man. What is even more remarkable is the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God in the flesh, full of grace and truth, and he came revealing the Father to us. And he was sent by his Father on a mission to save sinners. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, who, who do we worship? We, we worship God. We, we worship our Creator, the Creator of the entire universe. His greatness 
is far greater than anything we can begin to comprehend. And yet God stooped down to reveal himself to us and to to provide a way for sinners to be restored to a right relationship with him. And, And we even have the hope of dwelling with God on the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. So God is worthy of worship. And if you have been saved from your sin through faith in Jesus Christ, you have reason to worship your Creator and Redeemer. So again, remember two things. One, God is transcendent. Uh, He is above all things, and yet amazingly, God the Son condescended to the earth to make a way for you to know him and worship him. Secondly, remember why you worship. Worship most pleasing to the Lord comes from a heart that is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. The latter half of verse 2 says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So why do we worship? The the short answer is because God speaks. God God speaks to reveal himself to man. It pleases God to reveal himself so that we will know him and worship him. That in and of itself is amazing, but the one who truly knows him will be humble before him. There there will never, ever be any room to boast about ourselves before the Lord. Um, said, Said another way, the one who is truly humble sees and understands the superior worth of our infinitely great God. If you are humble, you are impressed with God, not yourself. If you're humble, your mind and your heart are fixed on the perfect power and beauty of God's character and being. There there is no one like Him. He is all-powerful. He knows all things. He is is perfect in righteousness. He alone is holy, holy. Holy, holy. And the minute you see God in all of His glory, in humility, you become contrite in spirit because you also see your own sin and how far short you fall of His holiness. That that was Isaiah's experience that Tim read for us earlier from Isaiah 6 where the Lord revealed Himself to Isaiah. That was the initiative that God took. He revealed Himself to Isaiah. He spoke, and Isaiah heard. Here is the one who is high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. The the, the train of His robe filled the temple, speaking of His great authority. And He was surrounded by the seraphim who were crying out in an antiphonal way, Holy, Holy, Holy! is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the text says that the foundations of the temple shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
Well, when Isaiah saw that, how did he respond? Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, instantly, Isaiah was undone in the Lord's presence. He was smitten in spirit. That's the idea of being contrite in spirit. Humble and poor in spirit before God, not boasting of anything that he can offer God of merit. He recognized the supreme worth of God and he felt the sting of his own sin. But, but God had mercy on Isaiah. God, God provided a hot coal from the altar to atone for his sin. And, and then the voice of the Lord spoke asking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, at this point, was ready to answer. And he said, here I am, send me. When you are humble and contrite in spirit, and you tremble at God's word, your heart is made ready to listen and obey God. You have a sensitive heart that longs to obey the Lord. What you want doesn't matter anymore. What you really care about is what God wants and what God deserves. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That, that's why we worship. There's a third thing. It's important to remember how you worship. Worship filled with empty ritual is offensive to God. Verse 3 says, He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. Now this all sounds a bit odd because... God instructed Israel to make sacrifices as a part of their worship. Slaughtering an ox, uh, sacrificing a lamb, presenting grain offering, and making memorial offerings were all part of the law's, the law's instruction. So why, why was God offended by Israel doing these things? I mean, listen, listen to what the Lord says to them. He, he, likens, he likens what they're doing to killing a man, breaking a dog's neck, offering pig's blood, and like blessing an idol. That, that's pretty serious stuff. Why was God so offended? And the rest of verse 3 and 4 tell us. He says, these have, these have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because 
When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. So, though they were offering sacrifices, it, it didn't come from a right heart. It wasn't a heart of faith. They were not humble. They were not contrite in spirit. They didn't tremble at God's Word. In fact, in their heart, they, they chose their own way. When, when the Lord spoke, they did not listen. They did what was evil in God's eyes and chose things that God did not delight in. So externally, they were present at the temple, offering what appeared to be right sacrifices, but God knew their hearts, and God knew what, what they were doing in the rest of their lives. Now, th this has been, this kind of worship has been a constant problem for Israel. That's why 1 Samuel 15.22 says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, the Lord says in Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The Lord say, says in Amos in chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, I hate the Lord says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. When King David confessed his sin of adultery and murder, he confessed that to the Lord. He said this in Psalm 51, 16 and 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So God, God's not pleased with your acts of worship, like coming to church. God's not pleased with your acts of worship if at the very same time you're hanging on to your sin and delighting in your sin. Hope, real hope, comes for God's people, not because of their external participation in worship, but in repentance and faith in the power of God to save. But when the Pharisees were upset that Jesus was eating with sinners, Jesus said this in Matthew 9.13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, we, we see the importance of being one who is humble and contrite in spirit and one who trembles at God's Word. External forms of worship are offensive to God if you don't have a heart ready to listen to God and obey God. Now, before we move on, I want you to notice one other thing. Back in verse 3 and 4 of Isaiah 66, when speaking about how 
he would respond to those who go their own way and who do not listen when he speaks. The Lord says in verse 4, I also will choose harsh treatments for them and bring their fears upon them. It will bring their fears upon them. Isn't that interesting? When, when you trust in an idol, the very thing you fear most often becomes the very thing you face in your life. And I think the desire that God has behind this, as was his desire revealed throughout Isaiah, is this. It's, it's folly to trust in an idol. Instead, there is a continual call to trust the God who saves. So, how, so, so the point is how you worship is important. Don't, don't think that going through the external motion of worship will score you any points with God. To, to listen and obey is better than sacrifice. Our fourth point this morning is, is this. Remember, worship matters. The True, though true worshipers may face persecution from men, false worshipers will suffer judgment as God's enemies. So when I say worship matters, I'm speaking of both the noun and the verb. The, the ingredients of worship must be remembered. Worship must be, uh, must be centered upon the person of God. When we gather for worship, it's all about Him Worship must be in response to His greatness. When He gives us eyes to see Him in all of His splendor, when, when we lift Him high, we respond in worship. Worship must also come from a heart of faith that listens and obeys. But your worship is also important to God, or it matters to God. And we know that because of what he says in verses 5 and 6. And I quote, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So the Lord has a message for those of you who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at his word. He says this, Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Now, again, this sounds good, but it comes from a cynical, self-righteous heart. Uh, these people don't tremble at God's word. They're not humble and contrite in spirit. They don't listen and obey. And yet, they're making judgments against those who are humble and contrite and tremble at God's word. We certainly saw this again and again with the Pharisees. Jesus even told them in John 16 too, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. It was this same crowd led by the Pharisees that crucified Jesus the Christ. They, they had their own ideas of worship but they didn't listen to and obey God's word. Often, often those who worship in spirit and truth will face the greatest persecution from those who are filled with self-righteousness and don't worship with a humble, contrite spirit and who don't tremble at God's word. And Je Jesus 
Jesus prepared us for this. Matthew 10.22, Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And John 15.18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So the Lord sees and the Lord cares. Notice the end of verse 5. The Lord says, But it is they, those who don't tremble at God's word, it is they who shall be put to shame. Verse 6, the sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. So the point here is this, God will bring due judgment upon his enemies. Those who are proud, those who are self-righteous, who are unrepentant, who are clinging to their own sin and don't listen and obey God's word. One, one commentator has said, because they do not tremble at his word, they will tremble at his wrath. So a couple of questions for you this morning as we think about how, how do we live in light of this? What do we do with this truth? Let me ask you, are you are you humble before God? Um, is, is your life all about God or is it all about you? Are you most impressed with your own goodness or are you most impressed with God's goodness? Are you humble before God? Number two, are you contrite in spirit? If you are contrite in spirit, you will be quick to confess your sin and repent of your sin. And you'll be comforted by the gospel. So, are, are you poor in spirit? Are you contrite in spirit? Do you, do you deny your sin? Do you run from your sin? Do you justify your sin? Do you minimize your sin? Do you give excuses for your sin? Or, as you stand before God... Are you gripped by your sin and you confess that and you repent of that and then find comfort in the gospel, Jesus who forgives, Jesus who transforms. Thirdly, do you, do you tremble at God's word? The question is, do, do you listen to God's word? Do you obey God's word? Um, if you tremble at God's word, you, you care about what he says. And you're teachable. You, you seek, you listen, you read, you study. You, you come with a teachable heart because you want to hear what God has to say. You recognize him. You, you don't get wrapped up in a personality that's teaching the word. You love God and you love His Word, and so you listen to His Word. You obey His Word. These are, I think, some important questions that all of us have to really wrestle with and ask because worship, worship matters to God. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful that 
You created us, but you've not left us here alone to make sense of life on our own. You have spoken. You have revealed yourself. I'm also thankful that you have pursued your very own and you have opened up our eyes so that when you speak, we hear, and when you reveal yourself, we see. But Father, we're reminded this morning how important it is for us as people um, to not grow complacent, to not go through the motions, but to really nurture a heart that cares about you more than anything else. And that our worship together, individually throughout the week, but when we come together, ought to be concerned about listening intently to you and responding to you in, in faith, in obedience, in love. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who worship you in spirit and truth. Help us to worship with our whole being, that we, we lay everything else aside and we see you as more important than anything else. You as you reveal yourself to us through your word. So give us teachable spirits. Give us willing hearts to listen and obey you. You're, you're worthy of that. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.